Hey, thank you so much for listening to Behind the Line. This is the Sunday message. We hope that this message builds your faith and fills your cup. Now let's get ready for the word. Well, good morning, everybody, and Merry Christmas. How are we doing out there? Does it not feel a lot more like Easter weather than it does Christmas weather outside? It's so weird, but that's all right, because Christmas and Easter are our two favorite times to be at church. And I'm so glad, so happy that you're here. I got a quick question as we get started. How many of you people, you would say you are a fake Christmas tree person all the way? Fake Christmas tree. All right, lots of you in the room. You watch that family go cut down a tree and it gives you anxiety. You're like, no, I ain't doing that. It always looks so romantic, doesn't it? To go and cut down a tree together as a family until you realize by the end of the experience, somebody's kicking and screaming, usually the dad. It's never quite as fun as everyone thinks it will be. All right, how many of you are real Christmas tree people? You're like, I don't care. Fake tree means fake Christmas, real tree all the way. All right, I have a confession. I'm a fake tree kind of guy. It's just too much work. I don't have time for that. You got to cut it down. You got to figure out how to get it home, tie it to your car. You got to shake it out because if you don't shake it out, you're going to have pine needles throughout your house until the month of July. And you better shake it out real good because there are living things inside of trees. I heard this story. This is in South Africa. Somebody brought a tree inside and all of a sudden a venomous snake started slithering outside of the tree. The cat was looking, the family saw the cat looking at the snake, looking at it. And what the cat didn't realize is it was about to become lunch. Or I heard about a family in Virginia, wake up on Christmas morning, everyone's excited. They want to open presents. Tree is covered in hundreds of praying mantises. No, forget about that. No, I ain't got no time. I'd burn the tree down. I'd burn the whole house down. But Christmas is canceled. We're burning the house down. We're out of here. And the whole process, just like figuring out not only how to get it home, but then stand it up so it doesn't turn into a leaning tower of Pisa. And you're watching the family, right? These kids are using the Frankenstein bolts to try to figure out how to wrench this thing up to get it to stand up. How have we not come up with better technology, by the way, for this? We have robots that will mow our lawn, and yet we're still using these antique medieval torture devices trying to figure out how to stand our trees up. So anyways, I'm a fake tree kind of guy. Now, I know you real tree people. You're a little disappointed in me. I get that. A little disappointed on Christmas. You're a judgy lot. You're like, well, you know, it's a real tree. It smells better. Yeah, it smells like allergies. Okay. Like, well, at least it's alive. Well, it was alive until you severed it from its life source. Now it's dying right in front of you. Merry Christmas. (laughs) But one thing I think we can all agree upon is who doesn't love a beautiful Christmas tree? And there are some very famous Christmas trees all throughout the world. I got a picture of a few of them. This one in Rio de Janeiro, it floats. There's a firework display over this tree. In Lebanon, this tree is made of gold. I don't know if it's real gold or not, but absolutely beautiful. There's a tree in London in a shopping mall, and it is covered with hundreds, maybe thousands of Disney stuffed animals. Now, some of you people, you're a little too much into Disney, and you're like, we're planning a trip to London. Here's a zoomed-in picture just to get an idea of how dense this tree is with Disney stuffed animals. And then there's a tree in Taiwan that's super high-tech. It does different light shows on this tree. But I would say none of these trees compare to what is the mother of all trees in our very own New York City, Rockefeller, 25,000 Swarovski crystals. And it's amazing. That throughout the world, like all these trees go up to celebrate the birth of Jesus. But the story of Jesus, it's not about a Christmas tree. We know that. 
It's much bigger than that. As a matter of fact, it's a tale of three trees. And so what I want to do this morning is I want to look at this tale of three trees with you today. And as the tale of three trees begins, it begins in the book of Genesis. If you're not super familiar with the Bible, the book of Genesis is the very first book of the Bible. We're going to be in Genesis chapter two. And so God speaks, light breaks forth and he creates the heavens and the earth. He creates mankind. And then look at what happens as God now begins to give instruction to his creation to man. We're in Genesis chapter two, verse eight. It says, now the Lord God had planted a garden in the east in Eden. And there he put the man he had formed. The Lord God made all kinds of trees grow out of the ground, trees that were pleasing to the eye and good for food. In the middle of the garden were the tree of life and the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. And so God creates man. He puts man inside of a paradise, what we know as the garden of Eden. And we see two trees now, lots of trees, trees that were good for food, but two trees in particular that are mentioned. We see the tree of life and it's juxtaposed with another tree, the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. And I know what some of you are thinking as you look upon this tree. You're like, that's a pine tree and it has an apple hanging from it. And some of you are like, wait a minute here. I don't know about this church. That's a conifer tree, not a deciduous tree. A deciduous tree is the type of tree that would have fruit like that, not a conifer tree. So first of all, this church is bad in real trees, and now they don't even understand botany. I just don't know about this place. Look, use your imagination with me. I know it probably wasn't a pine tree, but it's Christmas, and we wanted Christmas trees on stage. Plus, we don't know what the trees look like anyway. So all that to say, that's besides the point. And what we see really quick is that in Genesis, not only are there two trees, but there's one tree in particular this tree that becomes the focal point of the story. So let me jump a few verses down now. Verse 16. And the Lord God commanded the man, you are free to eat from any tree in the garden, but you must not eat from the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. For when you eat from it, you will certainly die. So God gives man a command. It's a very simple command. It's very Clear command. He says, you can have any tree. You can have every tree. You can have all the trees. It's a smorgasbord of trees. It's a buffet of trees. You can eat from any of the trees except this one tree. You can't eat from this one tree. You can go to the buffet line and you can eat from every tray in the buffet. But there's this one little corner right here. This one little tray has some apples in it. Don't eat from this one tray. Now we hear this sometimes. We're like, well, what was in the tray? Like, how good was it? But don't hear this and think for a second that God is holding out on mankind. I mean, think about the situation here. They're in paradise. You have two young naked co-eds living in a perfect world. There's no death, disease, pain, fear, shame, or sorrow. They get an all-you-can-eat buffet. They get to rule the earth, be fruitful, and multiply. I don't necessarily know the definition of frolic, but this is probably what I imagine that they were doing. They got to frolic. And it's not to say that God was ambiguous with the rules. Sometimes, you know, I'm a dad. So I'll say to my kids, hey, be nice. What's that even mean? How do you be nice? Be respectful. I don't even know how to quantify that myself sometimes. God is crystal clear. They knew the rule. Don't eat from the one tree. So overall, this seems like a pretty sweet deal. Oh, but what is it about human nature? The second you say you can't have something, what's the one thing you want? the thing that we said you shouldn't have. And so we know what happened. Man, they made a choice. 
And they ate the fruit from the tree. And it's because of this choice that the world fell apart. Sin now enters our story. Sin now begins to curse and ruin the earth. Death now enters in because of the choice that Adam and Eve made. And this explains why we have things like war or crime or hunger or cancer. Pretty much all the evils of this world, things like the Green Bay Packers. Yeah, yeah. Thank you, Adam and Eve, for the Green Bay Packers. I blame you guys. I'm going to chase it all the way back. We got to live with that because of this moment in human history. Now, when you think, though, of the fallout of that decision, the pain, the suffering, the trauma that's come into our world, how quick are we to blame God for everything that's gone wrong? But when you chase the story all the way back to the beginning, Whose fault was it really anyways? Because the way I read it, the way I understand it is God gave dominion of the earth over to the humans. He gave dominion over the earth to us. It was man's choice that got us banished from the garden. And so does it ever occur to you that maybe the brokenness of this world is more a reflection of us than it is of God? Ah, but that's a different sermon for a different day. So this is the story of our past. This kind of brings us up to why we're here in the first place, how we live in this broken world world. But there was a second tree mentioned, was there not? So we know we have the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, but it did mention the tree of life. Do we ever see this tree again? Is this tree ever to be spoken of again? Well, we do see it again. So we were in Genesis chapter two, which is the beginning of our story. Now I want to jump all the way to the last chapter of the Bible, Revelation 22. And we see the tree of life spoken about again. Little context here, the book of Revelation was written by one of Jesus' 12 disciples, a guy by the name of John. John was exiled to an island called Patmos. And while he was on this island, he gets a vision of the future. And as he gets this vision of the future, he gets a vision of a new heaven, of a new earth, of a new garden, so to speak. And this is what he says in Revelation 22. Then the angel showed me, John speaking, the river of the water of life, as clear as crystal flowing from the throne of God and of the Lamb down the middle of the great street of the city. On each side of the river stood the tree of life. There it is. Bearing 12 crops of fruit, yielding its fruit every month. And the leaves of the tree are for the healing of the nations. And this is really key. No longer will there be any curse. No longer will there be any curse. So here we see the tree of life mentioned again. And we get a little bit more detail about this tree. What kind of magic tree is this? There's a, a new crop of fruit every month. That's amazing. It's like the jelly of the month club. It's the gift that keeps on giving all year long. And so what you hear here between these two trees is the tale of humanity. What you see here is actually our story. Our story begins with a tree and our story ends with a tree. One tree launches a curse. And by the time we get to this last tree, the curse has been removed or lifted. But all of this begs a big question. How do we get from here to there? How do we get from this tree to that tree? Because it seems like there's a pretty big gap, especially as we are living in the middle of that gap right now. But the answer to this question is actually pretty simple. Christmas. Christmas is what ties these two trees together. As Tyler said up top, there's more to Christmas when you go back to the start. It's a story of redemption, birth, 
from God's heart. You see, after Genesis, God could have said, you know what? Story's ruined. Man ruined everything. I'm going to crumple up the paper. I'm going to start over. I'm going to throw it all away. But he couldn't walk away because this story, our story, was his story. Creation was his. And so as one theologian said, God refuses to be God without us. God refuses to be God without us. So what does God do? He enters our story as a baby, but he doesn't just enter our story as a baby to hang out with us because he thought it'd be fun or cool. No, no, no. He enters our story as a baby to be the hero of the story. He comes into our story to rescue us. He comes into our story to save us because sin had caused us to take from a tree. And because of that choice, we were now in exile. We were separated from God. And so because sin caused us to take from a tree, sin had to be put back onto a tree. A price had to be paid to bring us back into right relationship with our heavenly father. So the story of Christmas is much deeper than just a baby being born. It's about a baby being born to die. Thus, there's a third tree, and it's the most important tree ever. The cross. Look at this verse in Galatians. It says, Christ redeemed us from that self-defeating, cursed life by absorbing it completely into himself. Do you remember the scripture that says, cursed is everyone who hangs on a tree? That is what happened when Jesus was nailed to the cross. He became a curse and at the same time dissolved the curse. Jesus came down to become the curse. Jesus became the curse to reverse the curse. Jesus became our sin to free us from our sin, which means it is this tree right here that bridges the gap from our guilt to our glory. It is this tree right here that makes right all of the wrongs. It's this tree right here that is the bridge from death to life. It's what Jesus did on this tree that sets us free. And when you think about what he did, how he orchestrated this story, how he didn't give up on humanity, that he never leaves us. He never forsakes us. He didn't want to just crumble up the paper and start over. No, God wanted to be God with us. So he got into the weeds with us. He got into the mess to fix the story, to save the story, to be the hero. How can we not then on this Christmas open our hearts up to him? How can we not trust him with our life? I came across a story. Actually, it was a picture on Instagram, it was posted by a guy named Louis Giglio, and he posted it earlier, like maybe a couple weeks ago, I should say. And this picture to me really spoke to me because it was a picture to me of God's faithfulness, a, a picture of why we could maybe trust God in the first place. And what you're seeing here, let me try to explain it to you really quick. On the bottom here is every single chapter of the Bible. So you have Genesis over here, which is the beginning of the Bible, you have Revelation all the way over here and right smack dab in the middle. There's a very long chapter of the Bible and you can see in comparison, it's quite long. That is Psalm 119, which is the longest chapter in the Bible. And all of these threads, all of these strings, what these are are cross references. A cross reference is when one part of scripture is mentioned in another part of scripture. And so each one of these colors corresponds to distance or the length of time between the two different references. So i.e., we've got Genesis chapter 2, we hear about the tree of life. We see the tree of life is mentioned all the way again in Revelation 22. 
what you are seeing are 63,779 cross references in total. Now think about this, just this part alone. In the Old Testament, the part before Jesus of the Bible, there are 300 prophecies that talk about the need for a savior. There are 300 prophecies that talk about a Christ coming, a Messiah coming. We see those 300 prophecies fulfilled in the New Testament by the coming of Jesus. What's crazy about this is one mathematician looked at the probability that one person could fulfill randomly just eight of the 300 probabilities couple of them like where Jesus was born. He was born in Bethlehem. The, the fact that his hands were pierced when he died. So some of these predictions about who the Messiah would be. And he found that the probability that one person could randomly fulfill just eight is this number right here. One in, I don't even know how to say that number. That number is above my pay grade. I'm not even smart enough to tell you what that number is. And I think this mathematician, he knew this. So he decided to put this in layman's terms for us. What he said is this would be like covering the state of Texas knee deep in silver dollars, knee deep, randomly marking one, blindfolding a person, sending them into Texas, and they're able to find and pick up that one silver dollar. Absolutely crazy. And so why all of this is amazing, how God is orchestrating his story, is now think about the Bible here in the story of the Bible. You have a book that was written over a period of 1,500 years by 40 different authors on three different continents and three different languages, and yet the story of God is beautifully woven together to tell ultimately one story, the story of our salvation, the story of our redemption, the story of how God wins, that, that what was wrong will be made right. And God is painting this beautiful picture to let us know that he is in complete control. I think sometimes we think, oh, God doesn't have a plan, but you can't look at this and say, God doesn't have a plan. You can't look at this and say that God's got a chaos. You can't look at this and say, God's some old man sitting up in a rocking chair who does not care about us or planet earth, that he has no idea what's going on. No, he's in complete control. He knows exactly what he's doing. He's weaving together the most beautiful story, not just over humanity, but he can weave the most beautiful story over your life because that's the type of God we serve. He makes a way when it seems like there is no way. And I mean, when you think about it, he came as a baby? That's God's plan? But only God could come up with something like that. And this is why Romans tells us that God can work in all things for the good of those who love him. Ah, but I think that's the operative term, the good of those who love him. You see, you got to trust him. You got to believe. You've got to look for God's hand in your story. You know, human nature, so often we think, oh, well, I'm the main character of my own story. And it's easy for us to believe that. I think we're all susceptible to believing that at different points in our life. And when we kind of write the script of our story, we go pen to paper with our story. We begin to dream about the type of story that we want to have. Do we not have the perfect beginning? Such a wonderful middle part of our story and just a happy ending. But it never works quite that way, does it? This whole Genesis thing, this whole brokenness thing kind of tends to get in the way. And so there's highs and lows, twists and turns, ups and downs. And it feels like at different points in our story, our pen just flat out runs out of ink. And we're not sure what to do. And we're not sure what, where to go. And we're not sure what's happening. Or if our pen doesn't run out of ink, we feel like we need a lot of whiteout because we've made a lot of mistakes along the way. And we have a lot of regret. 
And so I think in moments like today, we have these moments, these, these brief little visions of clarity where we kind of get, and I think we understand that we're really not quite in as much control as we'd like to think we are. Right? We didn't control when we were born. You can't control where you were born. If you could, you wouldn't have picked Rockford. <laughs> you'd be, I would have been born in Hawaii on a tropical island. That's where I would have been born. I wouldn't be living here, but that's how God drew up the cards. That's just how it is. You can't control that, and you don't get to decide when or where you die. But our God, he decided when he was born on that fateful morning, Christmas. He decided when he would die and how by going to a cross for us. And he also knew three days later, he would rise again, defeating sin and death once and for all. And so I think what this tale of three trees reminds us of, what Christmas reminds us of, is not only does God have a plan, but I think what Christmas shows us in Christmas is proof that God has a plan for you. You are made for a purpose and you are made on purpose. He knows you more than you could ever know and he loves you more than you could ever imagine. You were made to be a part of his story because history, human history from beginning to end, well, it always was his story. And so maybe as you think about going pen to paper with your life and you're trying to figure out all of the choices you should make and all the decisions you should make, and you're trying to figure out all of life's ups and downs, maybe you should take the pen and be like, you know what, God, you take it because you're the author of the story, not me. You're the one who's ultimately in control. As the old song says, he's got the whole world in his hands, which means that sometimes when the world is out of my hands, it never means it's out of his. There's a verse in the book of Hebrews, and I I love this verse because it's telling us what to do in light of all of this. It's chapter 12, starting with verse one. It says this, let us lay aside every weight, all the burdens of life. Let's just lay them aside and the sin which so easily ensnares us. And let us run with endurance the race that is set before us, looking unto Jesus, the author. There it is, the one with the pen, the author and the finisher of our faith, who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross. Now, whenever I read this verse, I've read this verse many times, but I always think about the joy set before Jesus. What would have been the joy set before him that would mean he would be born to die? that would mean he would be willing to go to a cross. Well, the joy set before him was to reverse the curse. The joy set before him was to bring us back to where we ultimately belong into right relationship with our heavenly father, which means the joy set before him was you. The joy set before him was me. The joy set before him was all of us. And so if you ever feel lost in the gap, if you ever feel stuck in the tension between death and life, then what should you do? Well, then look unto Jesus because this tree right here is the answer. It is this tree right here that pulls you into God's story. It is this tree right here that gives you a whole new perspective on life. It's this tree right here that's the answer to every question. And it's this tree right here that takes you, bridges you from death to life. You simply ask Jesus to be the Lord and savior of your life. And when you do, he comes in, he will free you from the bondage of sin. And then maybe just maybe as you see God beginning to move in your life, you're like, God, you know what? You take the pen. 
You hand over the pen because you realize he's the author. As the book of Revelation says, it says he is the alpha and the omega. He is the beginning and the end. All things were made through him and for him. He's the beginning of the story and the end of the story, which means he knows. We serve a God who knows. He can be trusted. Even in this verse, it says, run the race set before you. God has a plan for your life. He knows. Are there ups and downs? Yeah. There will be because we still live in a broken world. But God has proved that no matter how bad it may seem, we should never just look at one part of the story, never get stuck in one part and forget that God is still at work, that God is still moving, that God can paint a beautiful picture in your life if you trust him, that God brings beauty from the ash. That is the God we serve, which means you can never count God out. And when in doubt, remember, we can run our race with endurance because what's the finish line? The finish line is life. The finish line is hope. And I know sometimes in the midst of life's trauma and pain and the chaos of life, sometimes like, well, Greg, I just, I just don't know how I can see the finish line in the midst of everything that I'm going through right now. What should I do? I just don't know. Well, then simply come back to the story of Christmas. Fix your eyes on a baby that was born to die. Fix your gaze upon Jesus. Because whenever you lock eyes with Jesus, what he tells us is that he is the light of the world, which means when you look unto him, he will show you the way.